Are you a finance, tax, or internal audit professional in the restaurant industry? Join us July 26th through 28th, 2022 in Dallas, Texas for the National Restaurant Association's Finance, Tax, and Internal Audit Expert Exchange Conference. With an agenda built by professionals in the food service industry, you can expect to gain the knowledge essential to your daily workload and long-term career. Please visit restaurant.org finance to learn more and register. We can't wait to see you in person. Today, we'll be talking about the lease accounting standard with Kunali Shaw, controller with California Pizza Kitchen, and Lisa Castle, a director with Grant Thornton's accounting advisory services team. So Kunali and Lisa, can you please introduce yourselves and tell us briefly about your organizations? Kunali, we'll start with you. Sure. So I've been with California Pizza Kitchen for about two and a half years and enrolled as a controller for the past six months. I've been overseeing the ASCA 42 project very early 2019. Then it was put on pause vis-a-vis the delays in COVID. And in Q3 last year, we really you know, got our heads together and really kickstarted the project. Brief summary of CPK, California Pizza Kitchen, we have about 150 locations nationwide. We have about 40 franchise locations internationally and also in domestic airports or university locations or fields like the Dodger Stadium. So we're really looking to kind of expand and see what other new avenues are out there, how we can grow back business from a crazy two years and kind of rebuild and get back into the market in areas where we might have not been in the last few years. So some exciting projects coming down the pipeline. Great. Lisa, tell us a bit about you. Perfect. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lisa Castle. I'm a director at Grant Thornton's Accounting Advisory Services Group. I started my career as an auditor with Ernst & Young, and I was presented an opportunity to work with the FASB on the lease accounting project. So I really saw that project through issuance with them. And then I transitioned from there to be the project lead on the early portions of their implementation project. I started at Grant Thornton, which is the, the fifth largest public accounting firm, about five years ago. And since then, now I oversee our National Leasing Center of Excellence, and I help run our private company leasing initiative. Great. Lisa, while you're on the mic, let's stick with you. Can you kick us off with some background on the Lease Accounting Standard, formerly known as ASC 842? Very technical. And why is this such a hot topic right now? So tell us more. Yeah, absolutely. So ASC 842, it's a big challenge for most industries, right? So including restaurants, obviously, this really puts your historically what were called operating leases, and they'll continue to be called operating leases, but it puts them on the balance sheet. So these historically were not recognized on the balance sheet and would just flow through your P&L on a straight line basis. The standard itself was delayed twice, once due to kind of the challenges that public companies had during their adoption, which was in 2019, and then a second time due to COVID. But now it's here, right? So private companies really need to become compliant with this for this calendar year end. So since it's here, we're seeing a really significant uptick in the consulting requests. And really, you know, we're doing everything from what I'd call like a light touch from a consulting perspective to a real full-scale adoption approach. So with that in mind, Kanali, I'd love to get your thoughts as kind of the controller at CPK, which is a private company, right? So you've gone through this process recently. Can you share some of the details about your experience and perhaps where you are and how long it took to complete? Definitely. It's one of those projects that's ongoing and it never goes away. And it's been one that we've been working on for about three years, give or take a few pauses in between. 
I think at a high level, the way we kind of approached it was where in our asset structure or the way that we have our business, where could we have leases? Where are the obvious leases? The first that come to mind are real estate leases. We lease all of our locations uh, where our CPK is in your neighborhood. So that comes to mind. Those are very easy to pinpoint and identify. It's a very tangible asset. The ones that are harder to find are those equipment leases, which could be embedded in many of your other contracts, whether you're renting a machine from a vendor or you may or may not own everything in the restaurant physically, especially in the back of house kitchen. So it's kind of really taking a look and working with your department heads and operations teams to really identify and hone in on those assets because that's really your starting point to get this go forward. So that I think is most important and key and really to start early which is why we kind of did some of the legwork in 2019 and really picked it up, like I said, in Q3 2021. For us, one thing that's interesting is we do not lease out equipment to our franchisees. This could be different for others in the, the restaurant industry specifically, so that you will need to be kind of reviewed on a case-by-case basis. Could be owned, it could be a seller leaseback type agreement, or the franchisees are kind of on their own to find their own agreements. So that could be two or three different types of extra accounting involved in that. I think for us, when I'm talking about equipment leases, there are a couple of big ones that came to mind, which are the fleet and delivery vehicles that we rent out. If we have any box or refrigerator trucks, whether you purchase them is a different story, but if you're leasing them, then those definitely would need to be added. Any equipment you might have in your either your warehouse where you're stocking equipment or other items, or perhaps even at your headquarters. So I think copiers, envelope folders, the big machines like that, or, or even like post office stamp machine, those kind of things would be included. The other ones that are obviously in restaurant could be a dishwasher, beverage system, cookers, robots, which is kind of the new thing in the industry, potentially even dumpsters or shredding bins. So things like that are just important to keep in mind. One thing that's unique for us is with regards to IT equipment, we actually don't lease those. We either outright purchase those or we have a, you know, like a software maintenance agreement. So that's one thing that's unique for our business that may or may not be different for others. So kind of keep those three or four main um, in line. The next one I think that's key is software selection. If you have, you know, more than I'd say 20, 30, 40, 50 leases, definitely select the software. Don't try to do this manually. It's a lot of data points that you'd need to kind of keep updating manually go forward. So for us, we were already using an existing software, Lucernex, with our third-party team for our real estate leases. So it was a matter of just adding on the equipment leases and kind of keeping track of those on a separate module and system. So that kind of made our decision easy, but there's a lot of legwork and RFPs that teams could do to find the software that works best for them. And there are many out there, some that are accounting, you know, firm driven or, or some that you can kind of buy off the shelf. And then the couple of next things to kind of consider is, do you want to take the practical expediency option, which as a private company, you kind of have a sort of an easier route to adopt upon first day, which is, you know, calendar 22 and make it easier versus kind of having to go back and reevaluate your prior leases. The next one would be your, whether you want to choose a discount rate and or a incremental borrowing rate and whatever's easiest for companies to kind of be able to pull data as you go along the process. Cause that's a rate that you would need to use upon each change or modification or new addition of a lease. So again, kind of selecting the methodology that works best for your company and what's measurable. And lastly, engage with your auditors as early as you can. So that way they're aware of the process. You can get your documentation in order. You can have your lease population and be able to test that it's complete and accurate. So that way you have a timeline in place to really get a head start ahead of you know your year-end audit because that's coming right around the corner. We're already here at Q2. So keep that in mind and you know that way it'll help you get your go forward, your amortization schedules, your journal entries, all of those fun items 
to happen monthly a lot more streamlined than kind of manually working on at least case by case basis. All right. Thank you very much. I have heard from others within the industry that this standard has some surprisingly challenging aspects around the adoption. So Canali, since you just went through this process, can you provide some additional insight on areas that were more subjective or maybe difficult to plan than you initially expected? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first one that comes to mind is, is your data complete and accurate? Do you have all leases identified when working with your third-party vendors, do they even have the full population listing? I think in a couple of our rounds, we found that, uh, you know, we had incomplete listings or kind of it was regionally broken down, but we need kind of a holistic listing that would be sufficient for the entire company. So it was really working closely with our vendor partners and along with our operations teams to determine, okay, where do we have these embedded leases? And really the first place to start is take a look at who you're paying consistently and start kind of diving into invoices and determine, is there a lease component there? We'll start reading your master service agreements and contracts where you think it might be embedded and kind of start from there to figure out what your population is upon adoption and then go forward. I think for us, key was to kind of put some documentation in place so that way we can better identify and kind of more upfront identify these leases go forward. Real estate leases are very easy to spot. There's only a few that you might have. It's all the other equipment leases that are harder to determine, and especially if there's a lot of hands on it. So we're trying to, we, I guess, internally at CPK, we have a team that reviews contracts either upon kind of project RFP phase and then upon signing. So we're kind of leveraging that team to kind of add in a step or a checklist, if you will, to help identify these and flag any that maybe, you know, my team should further review to determine if there is a lease or not. That way we're kind of in the loop. Otherwise, a lot of times accounting is always last at the table. And unfortunately, we need to be upfront at the table for this specific guidance, because if something is incorrect, you have to kind of go back and review that with your auditors. There's a lot of legwork to get that done. So we might as well do it correct upfront. A couple others that come to mind is how do you kind of, once you have this set up, what can you do to just make a process in place with your software or if you're using a third party? So you can kind of make the monthly maintenance of these leases easy to manage, whether that's a modification or a disposal or early termination or adding new assets down the road with the changes in the business. There's a lot of things to consider. So what process can you put in place to make that easy enough so that way your monthly journal entries can kind of also become streamlined again versus going lease by lease one at a time? And then the one thing that we're working through right now, in fact, is how do we review impairment analysis and or discount rate sensitivity analysis since we actually opted to use a discount rate. So what procedures can we put in place, some sort of semi-annual review to kind of assess holistically across our leases portfolio, what that rate is and whether or not with the changes in the industry, changes in the business, do we need to review and revise that? So those are kind of items that we're working through given that we're about six months into adoption, still working through it, but I think the legwork is, can you get your population right? Fantastic. Thank you for that overview. So Lisa, let's turn back to you. Based on your experience helping clients with lease accounting adoption, how common is what Canali was just speaking about? And what other challenges do you see restaurants facing during these adoptions? Yeah, so... You know, listening to Canali speak about her experience, it, it really resonates with what we see with most of our clients, right? I mean, I think completeness is the biggest issue, hands down, for the bulk of our clients. 
leasing tends to be very decentralized. That is the most common challenge that we see. Again, not as big of an issue for real estate leases as Kanali noted for, for CPK too, right? Real estate leases, most companies tend to have a pretty centralized process. These are fairly large dollars. You know, historically, they've put effort into that. It's the equipment leases that tend to be very challenging to really wrap your hands around and make sure you got everything there. And it's not just a day one issue, right? It's not just for adoption. It's for, hey, do you get the renewals in? Do you get the modifications in? Do you know what the lease term should be? There's so many different aspects to this. And unfortunately, you can't just automatically assume that they're going to be immaterial without kind of understanding what that population is. So it certainly becomes a really big challenge for companies to kind of prove to their auditors that they have a full population. I also heard her mention discount rate, certainly part of our calculation, right? This is how you determine your lease liability. So there's the two options. There's your incremental borrowing rate, which is a bit more difficult for companies to calculate and determine on their own during public company adoptions. And even during private company adoptions now, we're seeing a lot of companies hire valuation specialists to actually get that rate. And so sometimes they'll build a curve as part of that process. There's the option to use a risk-free rate that is available for private companies. The downside of that is it's a lower rate. It's typically a treasury rate with a comparable term. But again, if it's a lower rate and you're using that to present value, that results in a higher asset and liability, which some companies are more sensitive to. She also mentioned software. Software has been one of the key things that we talk to clients about. Um, Kanali, you said, you know, 20, 30, 40 leases. I feel like I would go as low as like 15 leases sometimes, right? Because, you know, and it's because we build out these manual schedules sometimes for clients and we build through their disclosures and everything else. And it, it's the disclosures that kind of get you. Sometimes you can do the balance sheet entries pretty easily, but going through all the disclosures, it can be a pretty heavy lift. And then thinking about what you do day two when you have an impairment or when you have a modification, it's it just adds complexity there. There's not a great controlled environment. So there can be a lot of risk. So I think at a minimum, we typically recommend, I would say 15, 20 leases, demo products. Look at them, right? Like see what they cost, demo them. And if it ends up not being in your budget, then go the manual path and, and stick with that. But at least consider it. Two other things I think I, I would just mention one is having a set methodology from the get-go. We see a lot of clients come in and get pretty overwhelmed right from the get-go, right? There's so many steps that need to be completed. There's a lot that needs to be just done and getting everything organized. And unless you have a set methodology, take completeness, for instance. We typically look at AP recurring payments. Unless you you know start to work through that process and actually go through it, you can easily spend a ton of time talking to different people within your organization without kind of rhyme or reason, and you can get off track and not be efficient. So I think really having a set methodology and a set process is extremely important, or you're going to have inefficiencies and potentially could have errors. The other thing I would just mention is day two considerations. Again, I think a lot of companies are so focused on getting up and ready for day one that then they sort of say, okay, we're good, right? They kind of want to rest back and, and, and relax, right? And take that deep breath. And, and I get that. I understand it because it is a huge lift. But there are immediate impacts day two that, to Kanali's point before, if you don't address them in the near term and kind of as it happens, it's going to have implications down the road for you. So again, just thinking about the efficiencies or the inefficiencies that we sometimes see come through with clients. Definitely. Just to add on to that for the completeness aspect, 
if you don't have some sort of methodology of what you're considering an equipment lease or not, or if you're reading an agreement and well, there is a small you know piece of equipment, let's say an alarm system, but really you're paying for the monthly service. It's kind of identifying in detail in review of those invoices, you know, does that count as a equipment lease or not? So that's, that's crucial. And I think until you have that methodology and sort of implementation guidelines, it's very difficult to then go forward and say, okay, well, now we're done with day one, day two, now how do we go through and identify, okay, well, what's the lease term on this new asset? Or if upon adoption, you had a short-term lease, but it was extended another year in the middle of your year, then you have to bring that on your books. It's kind of working through those. And again, what it, if you choose to use a practical expediency option or not, that has different impacts on the way that you would account for it. So that that's very crucial to kind of pinpoint and document. I think that's the second key that I would urge everyone to document everything up front and keep documenting. The more you have documented, it'll only make it easier for your review along with your auditors, because another key thing that they're going to want to assess is, okay, well, have you reviewed other contracts to determine whether or not there would be an lease embedded in there and or would it need to be applicable, you know, as part of your lease population. So kind of also having that that side of it as well to identify the ones that you pinpointed as no, so they can review that and having that in place saves them time at your year-end audit so they don't have to go through and review all 50, 100 contracts. Those are great points. Lisa, swinging back to you really quickly, you made a really good point about day two and those post-adoption challenges. Makes me also think about the key interaction and items that auditors may be asking for. So what are the specific areas and challenges that auditors are really focusing on? Yeah, no, great question. So I think the first thing they're going to focus on is your data, right? I mean, your data is what actually makes up the numbers that are reported in your financial statements. So they certainly are going to want to understand how you collected that, how you verified it. Did you validate it? Did you do any checks as it went into the software? Did you do calculation checks? All that stuff. The second thing is the documentation that Kanali was just talking about as well. It's those memos, right? Completeness, they want to understand exactly how did you get comfortable with that population being complete? What procedures did you do? What was eliminated from the process or from the scope of the project because you determined it wasn't a lease? That's equally important to auditors as concluding something is a lease. So there is a lot of steps that need to be performed here to make sure that you've documented everything appropriately, including those expedient elections, software selections, key areas of judgment, et cetera. So there's a ton to put together and provide to your auditors. Great. Those are great tips and considerations for our listeners to keep in mind as they're going through this process. So Kanali and Lisa, what benefits have you seen as a result of adopting the standard? Benefit would be getting everything on your books. You have visibility. Everyone can see, you know, what assets are there. You have a little bit more data than before. You know, again, this was just kind of streaming through the P&L and you could miss something. So I think that's really the key. And really having, you know, one team member or, or you know, one tool to have it all aggregated really makes a difference. Again, whether it's manually in one spreadsheet or in one tool, just having that all together. And really the key is starting early. It's already Q2. So, you know, time is clicking before year end. But again, just start early. And if possible, start those RFPs on that software selection or kind of gauge, you know, what's out there. There's so many different platforms that are built, I'd say, for small private companies all the way up to what the big public companies are using, like the SAP module, for instance. So pick something that works best for your company and what will, I think, in the end, save you time. There might be a little bit of an investment required, but it might pay off in the end, depending on your lease population and really setting up those reviews. So go forward, you know, once you've kind of identified what your 
day one starting lease population is going to be is how do you assess that go forward and how do you make sure that's completely accurate whether you know equipment drop off or you have you know vehicles for instance where leases are up and you're going to sell them back and trade in and get a new vehicle how do you keep up to track on that when there's so many different teams or company parts that are moving along with the operation side and you may not be receiving the data timely and then how do you kind of make those updates i think those kind of two items is really what you can to make sure you're kind of getting the information as timely as possible to report it accurately. That way your books, you know, on a monthly, quarterly basis reflect what you think it should based on these changes. Perfect. Lisa and Kunali, thank you both very much for your time. And as we wrap things up, if you were able to provide one recommendation or piece of advice to our listeners with respect to adopting ASC 842, what would that be? Kunali, let's start with you. I think for me at this point, given the time and where we are, would be to engage your auditors and start that review, start that documentation and really kind of assess how and when you'll tackle this project so you can document and, and really be ready for that year-end audit and get your um, FY22 books in line for adoption and, and really kind of select what methodologies make sense for your company. And again, get a good software if you can to make it easier for go-forward process. Lisa, one recommendation from you? Yeah, I completely agree with what Kanali said. My other thought is just start now. <laughs> Don't wait. I think really identify who needs to be involved. Identify where your gaps are, where you need help. If you do need help, identify if you need a software. Start thinking through those things and start because if you don't, you're going to find yourself behind. Thank you, ladies, both very much for your time. We appreciate the insights that you've provided to our listeners today. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much for listening to Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. Follow us on your favorite podcast player and find out more at restaurant.org slash podcasts. Episode produced by Dante32.